Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Before we start today, uh, Bob's queued up a joke for us today. Uh, jo- uh, Bob, Bob, hand me it, hand me it. All right. All right, today's joke comes to us today from the primarycarepod at gmail.com. Uh, send us any questions, concerns, or any jokes you want me to read on air. Uh, I will read them because I love jokes. Uh, this joke uh, comes from an anonymous source, uh, Dr. List. I have a joke for you. I had a patient come into the office the other day, and the patient says, Doc, ever since I saw you, I hate the stigma that's associated with my mental health diagnosis. Doctor said, what are you talking about? The patient says, well, you told me I had schizophrenia and you gave me medication for it. And ever since then, my friends won't talk to me anymore. Well, let's start the podcast. Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and other students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used in medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced in my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past, or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about plain old, boring diabetes. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about some basic stuff today. We're going to hit the highlights. Uh, I'm, I'm reviewing an article from 2019, end of 2019, uh, December 2019. Um, this was uh, Diabetes Care, uh, Management of Hyperglycemia and Type 2 Diabetes, a Consensus Report. On a prior podcast you may or may not have listened to of this uh really well-known podcasting host name of Dr. Marco's Primary Care Pod, did a topic on SGLT2 inhibitors. Now, uh, that kind of talked a little bit about some of the recommendations for SGLT2, so we're going to avoid some of that, go back and listen to that. That was a really good one. Um, but in this, um, this is a consensus report between the American Diabetes Association and the European Association for the Study of Diabetes. And so we're going to run over some algorithms. Um, but basically, the guidelines still remain the same. Uh, treat diabetes. We're not going to talk about diagnosis of diabetes, but treating treatment of diabetes obviously starts with metformin. Everybody knows this. We're not. This is not controversial. Nothing's changing. Nothing's changing. Okay. Make sure that we focus on diet and exercise. Um, we talked a little bit on the uh, podcast about intermittent fasting about how valuable and how uncontroversially important diabetes education and diet are. Lowering carb intake, uh, trying to eat uh, fewer calories, restricting diet, even intermittent fasting, whatever it takes, Um, but fewer carbs, fewer simple sugars, better whole natural foods, and making lifestyle changes far outweighs everything, including metformin, but metformin is super awesome. This is not controversial. No one has learned anything new in the first three minutes, so let's work on stuff. Okay, so let's break down all patients then into five categories. And they and these organizations recommend breaking them down into five categories. Number one, does atherosclerotic coronary vascular disease, ASCVD, does that predominate? Is that an established diagnosis? Uh, are there indications of that diagnosis? Okay, that's one group. Number two group, do they have heart failure or kidney, chronic kidney disease? Okay, I don't know why they lump them, but we'll, actually it makes sense later. But So if it has one of those two diagnoses, that predominates. That's their biggest issue. Okay, number three. Is there a compelling need to minimize hypoglycemia? So, for example, are they an old person? Uh, do they get really symptomatic hypoglycemia really easily? Um, my question is for the guidelines is why, how do we know that they have hypoglycemic episodes if we haven't put them on anything other than metformin? Anyways, okay, uh, maybe they've been on something, I don't know. Okay, but compelling need to minimize hypoglycemia. Okay, number four, need to minimize weight gain or promote weight loss. Now, these are your super duper heavy people uh, who are looking at getting 
on a uh, uh, you know bariatric surgery plan or something like that, but somebody who really should benefit from a lot of weight loss. Okay, and number five, cost is a major issue. Okay, uh, that is a huge, huge, huge factor in my own practice. I don't know about you guys, but uh, that ends up being way more important than all the other disease states put together. But uh, we'll walk through these. So let's start with uh, my uh, uh, some of the data that we talked about last time. If they have heart failure, if they have CKD, there is very, very strong evidence to support SGLT2 inhibitors, period, end of story. They're awesome. Now, uh, the newest updates say regardless of their A1C levels, even if they're fairly well controlled, meaning like, you know, upper sevens, et cetera, you could still put them on an SGTLT2 and benefit. Again, SGTLT, SGLT2s seem to be a really good treatment for heart failure, plus or minus whether or not they actually have diabetes or not. So adding that as a benefit, if the patient has uh, diabetes, you're getting a two for one. So super good benefits for that. Um, CKD, obviously we talked about SGLT2s. Man, I'm struggling today. Uh, Those have really good benefit in reducing the progression of chronic kidney disease and preventing uh, the progression develop albumin in the urea, macroalbuminuria, microalbuminuria. Oh man, struggling today. Okay, let's pick this up. Uh, Now here's uh, the part that I'm going to find the most problematic, and that is if they have an established diagnosis of ASCVD, right? In addition to metformin, right? They recommend GLP-1, you know, receptor agonists first. Okay. Now, why is that? Well, there have been many trials where you can see a benefit to GLP-1s reducing MACE, right? Major adverse cardiac events, okay? Specifically, these studies that have shown this are in very high-risk people. They are not in your average person. They are, uh, you know, all diabetics are at increased risk for heart disease or increased risk for heart attack. Uh, even with family history, that's not uh, enough that, you know, these people tend to be, um, uh, almost all of our patients' diabetes are at risk for coronary vascular disease. But the only studies that have been done that have shown, you know, MACE reduction, major adverse cardiac event reduction, specifically we're looking at liraglutide, semaglutide, dulaglutide, okay? Now, it's really important to know that when we look at these trials, yes, after four years, there is a reduction in the primary endpoints, right? Oftentimes we're talking death from cardiovascular events, non-fatal MIs, non-fatal strokes, okay? The important thing to know is that these absolute risk reductions in these trials compared to placebo is less than 2%, okay? All these trials, uh, the glutide trial, 13 versus 14, 14.9%, that's 1.9% absolute risk reduction. The semaglutide, uh, let me scroll down here, uh, 1.6 versus 2.7, so 1.1% reduction. Um, all all uh, the, the entire primary endpoint was a, oh, that one was 2.3%, but either 2% absolute risk reduction or lower, okay, right in that range. So it's important to know that your number needed to treat to prevent in a super-duper high-risk patient group is 50, right? For these drugs. Now that's a pretty good number. That's a that's a pretty good number. But these drugs are incredibly expensive. I don't know about you guys. None of our drug companies around here are really paying for any of the GLP ones with any amount of uh, good coverage. Bob has um, our studio producer here has pulled up the GoodRx for me. Thank you, Bob. You're the best. High five. 
Great. Now, you hear that? Hi, everyone. Everyone, Bob, high five me. The cheapest option on GoodRx with a coupon is $689 for Trulicity for a month of it. Um, that's dulaglutide, right? That's the cheapest I can find on GoodRx. Now, some insurances obviously cover it better than that, but not many do. And, uh, you know, if you guys locally have insurances uh, in your own place that uh, cover GLP-1s better, fantastic. But uh, Animal Medical Group uh, and my coverage around here, very, 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 very little coverage. Now, is that $700 a month? You know, they talk about in these guidelines, uh, we just talked about there's a group that says cost is a major issue. I don't know anybody in my practice who wants to fork over $700 for a single medicine for a 2% absolute risk reduction in cardiac events, right? Uh, by the way, we didn't even talk about GLP-1s, uh, you know, because we talked about SGLT-2s, but GLP-1s, the reduction in A1C is only a half a percent to a percent. I mean, we're not talking major reductions in A1C. So if you have a patient who has an A1C of 9, you're at best getting them down to 8 with this drug, uh, you know, according to the studies. More likely, you're getting them down in the upper eights or the mid eights, right? So let's not pretend that this is some amazing blockbuster drug at A1C reduction. Um, so, you know, yes, there is significant, you know, documented, re you know, reliable proof that most of these medications in this class reduce your events for coronary artery disease and, and MIs and stuff, uh, not developing coronary disease, people with coronary disease developing MIs and strokes and, you know, preventing death in the, in the primary endpoints. But we're talking about a 2% reduction at a tremendous cost. Oh, and by the way, these have incredible side effects. I don't know. I mean, the studies on average say about 30 to 40% of people have either nausea or vomiting, and that's because they delay gastric emptying, right? Now, side point, side, side effect, they do reduce, um, they do reduce weight. They do lower your weight. So that's, that is helpful. Not as much or, uh, similarly to not as much as the SGLT2s, but, um, usually at the cost of decreased appetite, which is positive, but then also the nausea and diarrhea and, and GI side effects, which again, are pretty hard to tolerate for a lot of people. Okay. So that was group one and group two, group one, heart failure, absolutely. Uh, SGLT2, uh, chronic kidney disease uh, being a big issue, SGLT2s, uh, great. ASCVD. Yeah, I guess a little bit of benefit, some benefit to GLP-1s. Again, uh, I just can't justify it in my own practice because of the cost, uh, great drugs, but, uh, well, I shouldn't say great drugs. Uh, mediocre drugs with good mace benefit. And that's about it. Uh, minimizing hypoglycemia. They talk about DPP-4s, GLP-1s, SGTLT-2s, and uh, TZDs. Um, I think DPP-4s are pretty trash. Okay. DPP-4s are expensive still. They're not super cheap by any stretch. Uh, they work in the same mechanism of action, just up the pathway from GLP-1s. So you're not going to get any different benefit. In fact, there's less benefit because I think the trials were set up differently. I think that's why DPP-4s didn't show any major adverse cardiac event benefits. Um, and I think the GLP-1 trials were set up in just the appropriate way to get just enough benefit to show clinical significance, to get them approved for that indication, and to get them kind of higher on the radar. I think that was all a big pharma marketing ploy. And I'm not anti-big pharma, haha, but uh, I think there was some really well-designed trials to get that approval. Um, I think DPP-4s probably could have that approval if done in the right population, but we don't have have that, so ignore that. But I don't think there's any benefit to them. And again, the A1C reduction is not amazing. Um, SGLT2s, again, wonderful drugs. If you can get them cheap, they're great. They also reduce risk for hypoglycemia. I think they're pretty wonderful. Um, but again, cost is a big concern with those if they can't get afforded. Um, when we talk about other hypoglycemic agents, TZDs are okay. Um, so again, could be used as well. 
when you're talking about weight loss, we talked about GLP-1s, talked about SGLT-2s. Those are great. Those are about the only things that make you lose weight. Uh, absolutely not insulin and absolutely not sulfonylureas. Now, in my own practice, um, I still use a lot of sulfonylureas. I do. Uh, I think that there is no, the studies have proven that glimepiride and to a lesser extent, glipizide, I think, just based on mechanism of action, but glimepiride um, does not have any increased risk for major cardiac events. Now, that's not true with glyburide. Glyburide's terrible, has horrible, and all the sulfonylureas do have risk for hypoglycemia. Glyburide's terrible with that and has probably increased risk of developing uh, major adverse cardiac events. Again, the, that trial data is pretty, pretty weak, um, but they are dirt cheap and they work pretty darn well at reducing A1C reductions. Uh, they work. Um, they do make the patient gain weight, so that is something we have to be concerned about. Um, and they are not the perfect drugs. In fact, they're pretty garbage drugs as well. All diabetic meds are pretty garbage, but they're cheap garbage. And if we're looking at A1C reduction, uh, I think they are quite helpful for people who will actually take them due to cost issues. I don't use much Actos because I got a lot of old men who are probably borderline at risk for CHF to begin with. Um, but uh, Actos, it's a, it's really cheap. It's fourteen bucks on GoodRx and ten bucks for most pharmacies around here. Uh, that increased fluid retention, that increased risk for developing CHF, and that worsening peripheral edema, uh, it scares me a little too much. The weight gain is also not great. Um, but it's, it's not the world's worst medicine, but it's also pretty trash. Um, but again, those are probably our only two medications in addition to metformin that you can use for people who cost is an issue. And then you go to insulin. So back when I was working in residency at a, you know, federally, you know, funded community health center, that was, that was basically it, right? You had, you had your uh, metformin, you had yourself on your ears, you maybe had Actos, um, and then you basically had insulin. And so, I, I mean, I think there's a lot to do with insulin and insulin is not cheap. You know, this federally funded health center, you can get stuff for cheap for patients. Um, but that was only because I was at a specific site. Insulin has its own issues and its own cost issues as well. So, Let's let's be real here. Uh, diabetic meds suck, uh, but I think that I think we are underutilizing sulfonylureas. I think there's still a place for them. Absolutely not glyburide. Probably glimepiride instead. Um, probably glipizide too, but glimepiride is probably the better choice. Look, even the ADA says the choice of medication added to metformin is based on the clinical characteristics of the patient and their preferences. Important clinical characteristics include the presence of established ASCVD or indicators of high-risk ASCVD factors other comorbidities, and risk for specific drug events, such as hypoglycemia. There is little evidence to support one combination over the other. Metformin can be used in any one of the preferred six treatment options, sulfonylureas, TZDs, DPP4s, SGLT2s, GLP1s, or basal insulin. The choice of which agent to add is based on drug-specific effects and patient factors. Again, I, I, I like the idea of GLP1s. If I could ever get them relatively inexpensive and only really for those specific people with known heart disease. But I think SGLT2s, in my case, since our insurance companies are paying for them at a fairly reasonable rate around here, I think that's where my, the best bank for my money is, at least around here. So if you're in the annual medical clinic area, Annual Health Plans has a coverage for Farsiga for 35 bucks, Dapoglifosin, and uh, pff, can't really beat that anywhere. Um, so again, I think that's my next line after uh, metformin and uh, plus or minus sulfonylureas. Um, I I, have, I can't tell you the last time I prescribed a GLP one. I think there is a good place for them, but my patients just don't pay for them. They they just they just won't pay the seven hundred bucks. So um, and it's not even seven hundred bucks. I mean we're talking like two fifty a month for copays insurance, and they just won't do it. So uh, I've had very few people keep taking them. 
So uh, anyways, uh, that was uh, a quick rundown, a quick review of diabetic medications. Uh, nothing you probably didn't already know, um, but a, a good refresher. Um, 15 minutes or less, right? Uh, it's a quick review. Um, if you need anything else uh, on the topic, I'm always willing to talk, but that's that's pretty much the most up-to-date stuff that we have on diabetes medications. Nothing new on the pipeline that I can tell or that I've heard of or that I've read about. If you've heard anything, let me know at primacarepod at gmail.com. If you have any questions, concerns, fears, worries, think I sucked at this, let me uh, know and uh, text us or text me or send me an email at primacarepod at gmail.com. And uh, Bob, start the uh, exit music. Yeah, that's my jam. And uh, thank everyone, Bob, for his work today. And uh, we'll see you next week. Remember, you don't need to stay up all night. Stay up to date. Have a great day.